We started uh, at 11 o'clock today, which is a, um, yeah, it's a new thing. So I'm hearing some feedback in the mic. Hopefully that will go away, but uh, I'm glad to see everyone here after the massive amount of rain we got. Thought we might have to row in this morning. But we did not, so that's good. Just a couple of housekeeping um, things I want to talk about real quick. I, the whiteboard back here, uh, we've got a sign up for our Wednesday nights, and we would like, we're going to actually be eating together, and so we got people that are going to be preparing food, and we'd like to know how many. We don't want to feed the 5,000 if we've only got 20. Um, <laughs> Jesus can do that, but uh, we also don't want to ha have food for 20 if we've got 5,000. So we've got this uh, sign-up board back here. If you would like to sign up on that, that would help us figure out how much food. Right now we've got 12 people signed up. Uh, so go ahead and put your name and how many people will be a part of that. Um, and I think we can figure out the kids and all that from... I know there's not four Haber adults, so um, we can figure that there's several kids involved in that. Um, oh, that's how many hours of sleep. I thought you had more children, six. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for leading, brother, even though you're really tired. <laughs> um, also, on the back counter back here, we've got some cards that is... Um, I would say it is an advertisement for the church. That's my British coming out. Um, I'm not British. But advertisement for the church that we're going to be passing out uh, every other Wednesday. But on your block, if you want to grab some of those and, and pass them out uh, on your block, let them know we've got uh, Wednesday food, prayer, um, teaching time, and general fellowship time. So if you want to grab a stack of those or two stacks, I think we've got 5,000 of those cards. So um, go ahead and do that this morning and pass them out. Also, uh, this week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we have got Kids Club. And I know many of you have signed up to help with that. And so we'll be making an announcement towards the end of the service for that. Well, would you pray with me as we dive into the Scripture today? It's going to be a uh, continuing with the revival series, and um, I pray that we wrestle with this uh, as I go through it. Father God, I come to you needing your strength. Spirit, I need you to indwell me as you did in my study here today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you my God and my Redeemer. I pray that those here would um, hear your words. They would be convicted. They would be edified by what you're doing in their heart, by what you're doing in this church and what you're doing in the world. God, we pray that your will would be done here this morning. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we ask these things. Amen. Well, continuing in this revival series, I was trying to figure out what to preach on. And 
God kept bringing to my mind as I've been struggling with suffering because suffering a lot of times enhances or, or brings about a, a revival. And we've seen that in, in the churches in, in different places in communist countries like China and North Korea. And you hear stories of, of suffering and persecution and the gospel just going like wildfire in these areas. But as I wrestled with that for the last week, God seemed to refine in my spirit of what I should preach. And that was actually a subset of suffering being persecution. When you think about revival, you may not think of persecution. You may not think of that enhancing a revival in in your life, let alone a church's life. But I want us to embrace that concept today as we are being renewed or awakened to what God is doing in this world. The Bible says, whether therefore we eat or drink or whatever we do, we need to do it all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10. And so will you embrace this concept of suffering and persecution? You go, what what is persecution? Well, I'm glad you asked. I looked it up. The act or practice of persecuting. Well, that helped. It continued. Harassing or oppressive treatment, especially the infliction of injury as loss of property or civil rights, physical suffering or death, as a punishment for adhering to some opinion or course of conduct as a religious creed or a mode of worship which cannot be properly regarded as criminal. You see, if you are going to be a genuine Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will face persecution. You see, our culture, our society will not let you get away with the beliefs that we read about here in Scripture. There can be a time when maybe a society or culture is Judeo-Christian and maybe an ethic or a belief, and sometimes we get that confused with real Christianity because it has a Judeo-Christian ethic. And maybe you don't feel the suffering, but soon, if it's not built upon Christ and the gospel, that will even be outdated in the morals and fabric of a society. We live in an ungodly time, as most times were throughout history and throughout different cultures in the world. And we may say ours is getting better in some regards, but worse in others. We have culture clashes, culture wars that rage outside of our churches. If you are going to stand upon the Word of God, there will not be a parade of nice platitudes given to you. There will not be parades uh, of welcoming your thoughts your desires from the Word of God in culture. You see, when we acquiesce to what our culture says is virtuous, 
things get twisted and wickedness becomes a virtue and righteousness becomes good and righteousness becomes evil or bad. John read John 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This was Jesus 2,000 years ago stating, if the world hates you, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. The servant is no greater than his master. If it persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, would they obey yours also? They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And he goes on, as John read in that chapter, to identify this is coming to you because it happened to me. If you are going to have an orthodox view of this scripture, you will face persecution. You see, are you willing to stand up is really the question to what this word says. Are you willing to stand up and obey Jesus Christ in his word rather than float along the culture in a river of debauchery and lasciviousness? You must make a decision before you have a choice on how you respond to what is being said. You see, society and culture wants you to crawl into a hole and not hear from you again. Many of us have heard of cancel culture. But the Word of God and your testimony cannot be canceled if you stand up for what is right good and holy. You see, we have a message to proclaim that is one that is the best news that the world could ever hear. But a lot of times what we do is give the bad news and we stop. I think of the, the Christians, and I put that in air quotes, that held up signs, I think they're Westboro Baptists, that says, God hates fags. They didn't give good news. Now, the culture needs the bad news. But we cannot stop there. We have to get to the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that humans are sinful and alienated from their creator? Yes. Do you believe that the wages of that sin leads to eternal death and damnation? Not as many yeses, but yes. Do you believe that unless those sins are somehow removed from you, you will pay for those sins in eternity? Those sins must be paid for, and that is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, that he came down to this earth and paid for those sins with his death upon the cross for each one of us that puts our faith and trust in him. That is the beauty of the gospel. It's not enough to say you're a sinner. It's to have the solution to the payment for those sins. 
This is glorious news, and our culture needs to hear it. The world needs to hear it, but we cannot stop with just condemning and giving the bad news. Yes, that is part of it, but we have to give the remedy. How can we not be moved to proclaim this message? We should want our family, our friends, everyone around us to hear this good news about what Jesus Christ did on the cross in making his body the payment for us. The gospel must awaken us to be walking in this newness of life, in this revival. If we do not get the gospel, it will never lead to revival in our hearts, in our community, in our church, in our nation. It is frightening from time to time when we give the gospel, but it should be rejoicing in our hearts as we proclaim good news to those around us. You see, we have been given the authority to do this by Jesus Christ. He told us in his book, the Bible, that all authority has been given to him. Now he is proclaiming to us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching to obey the words and doing it again and again and again. We need to be salt and light in this world that is dark. Imagine this room being pitch black. Do you think there's going to be confusion here? If you try to get from that corner to that corner? Yes. Yes. There'd be a lot of confusion. When I get up at night, because I have to several times sometimes, there's confusion. When I try to make it out my bedroom door, why? Because it's dark. That's the way it is in this world. But we are called to be light in the darkness. And yes, when you get a light shined in your face when it's pitch black, what happens? Whoa. There's nothing worse than sitting around a campfire and somebody brings their flashlight up and puts it right in your eyes. It's horrible. Or you're sleeping silently and somebody flips the light on. But that's what our society needs. That's what the world needs is light in this darkness to get out of the confusion that we face. And Jesus has given us that authority to shine the light in this culture, in this space. You said, well, you read Acts 5 today. Well, let us get to it. Enough with that. Acts 5, we read the tail end of that. But I want to just quickly talk about the front end of this chapter. It's Ananias and Sapphira. How many of you have heard of them? This is, they come to church and a lot of people were selling everything they had and, and giving to those in need. Well, Ananias and Sapphira had some property and they sold it because they wanted to give to what God was doing. So they come and they put the offering down and Ananias says, 
Here it is. Everything we got for that property is right here. Well, that was not everything because what he did was held back. God strikes him dead. Strikes him dead at the beginning of this chapter. This is some church discipline that is like, whoa. I mean, he was giving to a good cause. But what he did, the scripture says, is he lied not just to humans, he lied to God. His wife comes in a few hours later and they ask her, was this the whole thing? Because that's what you all said. Oh yeah, boom, dead, dead. I was struck as I was preparing for this. You didn't just lie to humans, you lied to God. Now, probably you've lied and you weren't struck dead. But let this be a lesson to us. We tend to tell ourselves little things that's going on in the world and we begin to fudge the truth in our own minds. And I've got some examples. I was thinking through like, where do we not follow Scripture but kind of follow society? And maybe in regards to education, whose job is it to educate your children in the ways of God? Is it my job? Bring them to church. They'll hear about Jesus on a flannel graph. Is that the way it's supposed to go? No. It's the parents' job. But what have we done as parents? And slowly but surely, we let little things indoctrinate our children where it was our job as parents the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord of one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Yes, this is the Old Testament, but it's still applicable today. Even though it's the Old Testament, it's our job, but do we fudge a little bit and, and lie to ourselves and ultimately lie to God on whose job that is? There's little things that we let go Gluttony. Do we lie about that to ourselves and maybe self-control along with that? I was reading up on uh, this whole movement of body positivity where these obese, morbidly obese people say they're healthy. It's all good. Now, I don't think we should fat shame, but I will say this, we don't need to lie about health. We don't need to acquiesce to whatever culture says we should do because the Bible talks about gluttony being a sin, overindulgence. And that doesn't have to be just with food. It can be with entertainment. 
which the world deems as wonderful, and people spend hours and hours gaming. Gluttony could be, and self-control could be about a lot of things. But there's whole movements built around things that the Bible would say you need to have self-control in, and we go, that's okay, don't worry about it. When you lie to yourself about these things, are you not lying to God? Self-gratification. Porn is a massive industry in our society today. And we lie about it to ourselves. Going, I'm not hurting anyone. No one's being involved. But we're lying. Because there's all kinds of people put into slavery. There's all kinds of young children committing these acts that are being forced to. But we are buying into, I'm not hurting anyone. What will you do with the truth? Will you buy into what culture in the world would say? How do you respond to these things in the world? When Steve leaves Friday from work and comes back as Stephanie, do you affirm the sexual change? Do they have the authority to do that? Or is that God's? authority. He creates us male and female. The good news of the gospel is Steve was made in the image of God, deeply loved by God. But do we get to the gospel in those moments going, God has authority as the creator of you. God loves the world that He gave His Son so that you could be redeemed. Or do we acquiesce to the lies? Well, let's get back to our passage. So we saw Ananias and Sapphira, but there was some of these apostles, Peter and John, who were arrested by the these Sadducees, which were kind of religious leaders that uh, also had a political bent, a judicial bent to them. And so they were actually able to jail people. And the Sadducees, interesting enough, did not believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe in resurrection, so they didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And as I'm going through my master's program, the professor said, so this is a good way to remember the Sadducees. So they didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. That's why they're sad, you see. They did not believe. I know, that's really, that's really a dad joke, right? Um, but that's why they did not believe in anything supernatural. Well, it's funny because something supernatural happens in this passage and it kind of blows their mind because here were the apostles jailed. An angel comes and somehow, and we're not given how, but gets them out of jail with the doors locked and the guards still in place. The angel tells them, I don't want you to leave. What I want you to do is go back where you were arrested and continue to proclaim my name and preach the gospel. Now, there's sometimes when people are taken out of jail that they need to get out of town. Well, that was not the case here for these apostles. They were told to stay. Well, this angered 
the Sadducees because they're looking to bring them in and talk to them one more time. Because you see, the chapter before in Acts 4, they had had a conversation with these men and they said, we need you to not preach in the name of Christ. And Peter and John responded in Acts 4.20 and says, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Civil disobedience, we're not going to do what you ask. Now, be on tip. We're telling you that. We're not doing that. So here are the government authorities once again, now in chapter 5, going, stop. Stop it. The Sadducees were filled with jealousy, it says. And that's why they had put them in jail. You see, they were the religious leaders. Why are the people listening to these men when we're the real religious leaders? They're leading people astray. They've got this message of this Jesus, and I'm telling you, it's heresy. It's wrong. This Jesus is not who they say he is. So they get out of jail. They go, and they stand in the temple courts, and they tell the people about their new life they have found in Jesus Christ. They had been given instructions to do that, and that's what they did. The Sadducees in verse 28 says, We gave you strict orders not to teach in the name of Jesus, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than than human beings. You remember, they were told that before. You can't do this. But they had a singular message, and it was about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Part of the gospel is that we are all sinners, and part of the message is the world is part of that sin. And the authorities hated it. You see, the world hates when you push back against things they deem as virtuous. Plato, who was considered a great philosopher, made this claim. Knowledge is virtue. Is this not what we see in our society today? That knowledge is virtue? The more knowledge we gain, though, it seems like the more confused we get. Science is no longer science. Things that were taken as this is truth, because it's truth, is now something different. J.I. Packer had this quote, Our business is to present the Christian faith clothed in modern terms, not to propagate modern thought clothed in Christian terms. Listen to that again. Our business is to present the Christian faith clothed in modern terms. I don't preach out of the King James Bible. I'm not against the King James Bible, but I use the terms that we use more today. It's not to propagate modern thought clothed in Christian terms. And he ends the quote with this, confusion here is fatal. 
Confusion here is fatal. And we do this so many ways. I think of when we say holy matrimony. What is that typically meant? What is that meant from Scripture when we talk about a marriage between a husband, male, and a wife, female? But our, our society has, has twisted that, that you can have a marriage now between two males or, or two females. And so we've used things that are, are clothed in, in thought and put Christian terms on it. I listened to a, a pastor talk about holy matrimony in this way. But that does not line up with what God's Word says. So we must, even though it's a bright light in a dark place, be honest about these things. In love, speaking the truth. How do we get there? We've got to know people. We've got to love people. We've got to be there in their time of need. But we also have to be honest about what this word says, no matter how hard it is. I know we rail a a lot about what happens in culture, but honestly, I'm not so concerned about all of that. I'm more concerned about what happens with inside the church. What are we believing and embracing that really matters? What are we imbibing and what are we thinking about what this word says? You see, these apostles were jailed by religious authorities. It wasn't the people of the world. And they would have said, Yes, they also love God. In Romans 1, Paul calls out sins that are in society, but he also calls them out in the church. Romans 1 verse 28 says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. You see, they had the knowledge of God at one time, or so it would seem. But their own lust, their own desires gave them knowledge of what they wanted. That was the litmus test for what was right. How do I feel about it? And that cannot be the litmus test. Does it feel good? Does it feel right? The litmus test must be a sure foundation in the Word of God. You see... A lot of people will think this is just one thing. I I was doing some research on Sodom and Gomorrah. And people will use that as God destroyed it because of homosexuality. God destroyed that city. And though that could be part of it, that was not the whole thing. That was not the only reason. Because typically when you have debauchery in a society, there's a lot of things that went awry previous to that. Listen to what Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50 says about Sodom. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, pride, abundant food, 
So they had their needs met. They didn't have to worry about anything. And careless ease. Does that sound like what we have today in our society? Pretty easy. But she did not help the poor and needy. So here was a society that had abundant food, careless ease, yet what did they do with it? It was about themselves, about the arrogance and their pride, about them. And the Bible says in Ezekiel, they did not help the poor and needy. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I removed them when I saw it. So you could say all day long it was just because of homosexuality that they were destroyed, and a lot of people do. That was not it. It might have been part of it. But that led out of this arrogance, this pride, this abundance, this ease of life, and them being selfish with that and not helping the poor and needy. They did what made them feel good. Does that sound like us today? Does that grip your heart today to say maybe we're there? God will judge that in our day also in the form of confusion. He may not bring fire and sulfur, might, but He may not bring that, but He will judge this land with confusion on its people. Listen to Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be any hint of sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity, or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this, for of this you can be sure, nor immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, 
but is wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the opportunity is in the Lord's will. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, though, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Colossians 2, listen to these verses and let them pass over you. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual force of this world, rather than on Christ. There are so many philosophies out there today, so many things coming at you of people wanting you to listen to what they have to say. Does it match this word? Does it match up to what God desires from you? We must, everything we take in, put it through this grid, through the lens of this scripture. This is the only thing we have. God has given us his word. If it's my thought, it's going to be whack. I got a lot of wacky thoughts. And so do you. That's why we need a sure foundation to build our life upon, and that is the Word of God. We must shine the light of the gospel in this confusion. When you walk in the dark, you get really, really confused. We all have toes to prove it. And your eyes start to not work. The Bible says we are to be light in this confusion. In Matthew, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel twice over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Let me give you an example of what he is referring to. Things that have crept in that the Pharisees believed that they would say, that's okay or that's not okay, just add Jesus, and all you're doing is inoculating them from the real gospel, making them twice a son of hell, just like you were. I watched a pastor in a debate tell someone, you can be a homosexual and live in that lifestyle and God's okay with it. It is holy and righteous. I have seen people who have been greedy, arrogant, selfish, be in our churches and never get checked on their attitudes. But they give a lot. I have seen us 
And I say us, I mean the church. Not care how someone lives their life with addictions. But as long as they put Jesus on it, they're okay. What are we doing? What are we affirming that the Word of God would say, no, this is not right. I see us looking at marriages that may at best be called a roommate situation and a marriage that is terrible and not doing a thing about it. The wife not loving the husband. The husband not loving the wife. Yet do we say anything? Or they've just added Jesus. It's okay. We see people spending too much time in their careers and never spending any time with their family and their children. Yet do we gloss over that? Do we not help our brother or our sister, but they've got Jesus, everything's good? Do we not press into that? You see, it's easy to stand up for things that maybe we wouldn't do. But things that hit close to home, are we willing to stand up and be there for our brothers and sisters and call it out in love and help them in that journey? You see, I need you help calling stuff out in my life. And you need me helping to call stuff out in your life. I don't want to make you twice a son of hell by glossing over something. And you may not even be a Christian. You see, when we do this though, when we try to shine a light in maybe a dark place in each one of our hearts, you may not like it. And I may not like it. And that will tell you where maybe I am when you do that to me. But persecution is coming when we do those things. Because some people are not of the faith that won't see it your way. They may call you, you're just radical. You're just a fundamentalist. You see, you may not be called out for loving Jesus. That may be fine because in their mind, Jesus is only accepting and affirming. I think of how the, the woman at the well story has been hijacked by so many people. You see, the, the way that story goes is Jesus met her where she was at and, and affirmed her and everything was hunky-dory. What the part they leave out was Jesus going, go get your husband. And she's like, eh, I don't have a husband. He's like, what you say is true. You had five husbands. And you're shacking up with your boyfriend right now. They leave that part out. He pressed on her sin. She was astonished that he knew this about her. The reason she was not coming to the well was because she had shame and guilt and people were judging her. 
What they didn't do, though, was give her the gospel that could clean her up. And that's the difference between what Jesus did and what the religious people did. He gave her a remedy for the issue. We must be the same, not judging to judge, but to give remedy. Because without the remedy, we are jerks. We are bigots. We are racists. We are anything the world wants to put up to us. Homophobes, transphobes, closed-minded, narrow-minded, toxic. And you may actually get called those for real, for real, because you are. But you may get called those for real, for real, because you're not, too. And culture can't take it. Persecution is always meant for evil in your life by the person doing it typically, but not when God is in there. God means it for good to make you more like His Son. And as I close, I'm going to ask the worship team to come in a couple minutes, but I want you to listen to this quote by a man named Paul Washer. Down through history... You have a wrong idea of martyrdom and persecution. You think that these men were persecuted and martyred for their sincere faith in Jesus Christ. That was the real reason, but no one heard that publicly. They were martyred and they were persecuted as enemies of the state, as bigots as narrow-minded, stupid people who have fallen for a ruse and could contribute nothing to society. Your suffering will not be noble. So your mind must be filled with the Word of God when all people persecute you and turn on you. This is no game. You want revival and awakening? But know this. For the most part, great awakenings have come only preceding great national catastrophe and the persecution of the church. I believe God is bringing a great awakening, but I believe that He is raising up young men and women who are strong and trust in the providence of God to be able to wade through the hell that's going to break loose on us. And it will be on us before we even recognize it unless it's God's providence. He is not done. You will have a choice when it comes time to stand. Have you made the decision? You see, in Acts 5, later on in the chapter, they were flogged, the apostles. They were flogged, and they rejoiced in it. They counted it worthy. They counted it joy to be worthy of suffering disgrace. This was not a pretty thing. But they counted themselves worthy. You will face persecution. You will be maligned. You will be called names that you say, that's not who I am. But do you have resolve and made a decision before you have that choice of what you will do? You see, 
Luke 10, 27 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. You must love God with everything in your being if you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And at the end, will you count it a privilege, an honor to suffer for the name of Christ? What will you do today?